Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Yeah, I, I pray that the Lord would, would bless each and every one of you with His Word as, as I've been blessed by studying this, this text and just thinking about it for, for quite a while and uh, reflecting in my own Christian life. It's been an absolute blessing to, to study this and, and to... To uh, yeah, no doubt, be be just encouraged and washed by the Word of Christ. We'll, we'll look at uh, this essential, this key uh, must-have in the Christian life, and it's abiding in Christ. And so we'll we'll look at the context of this passage itself in uh, chapter thirteen. Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. And after supper, Satan entered into the heart of Judas and he immediately left the table to betray Jesus. And from chapter 14 through 16 in John's Gospel, Jesus gives an in-depth discourse from the Father in heaven and he's teaching his 11 disciples for the last time before his high priestly prayer in chapter 17, before his agony in the garden, before uh, the betrayal of Judas, his unjust trial uh, the, of the Lord, the, the mockery he faced, the, the spitting, the, the lashes that tore his flesh open, and, uh, and the suffering he came to endure. Uh, he displayed in this the perfect submission of, of, the, of the will of God, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, yeah, so he teaches his disciples before he... Uh, he uh, suffered in the garden being taken and uh, thus submitting to the perfect will of God, the Father, uh, to, to hang on that cross, to die for our sins. And then up from the grave he arose and praise God that we serve a risen Saviour and it's his words that we're going to be looking at this evening. And so in chapter 15, we'll look at these words uh, some of his last words he gives to his 11 disciples. Now let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your promises to us. We thank you, Father, for the eternal life that you give. We thank you for uh, cleansing us from all unrighteousness, from our sins, Lord. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you'd bless your word to our hearts as we uh, uh, meditate upon this passage and uh, this teaching, Lord. We love you, Father, and we do pray and ask your blessing upon your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So the chapter, chapter 15, begins with the person. We see, I am the true vine. And so throughout John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And this statement here is the seventh and last uh, in uh, John's gospel, all of which assert and confirm no doubt the deity of Christ that he's God. And he says here, I am the true vine. And so we see a picture also here that he gives 
to his disciples, the vine in the Old Testament, it depicted Israel, uh, the Jewish people, a vine planted by God himself. And however, Israel, as we see in the Old Testament, they were unfaithful and they were unfruitful. And as the nation didn't bring forth the fruit God was looking for, they were a stiff-necked people and uh, rebellious for the most part. And so now Jesus says to his disciples, I am the true vine. And so this was a significant statement considering the, the Old Testament scriptures they would have been aware of. And he says this, knowing that he would fulfill the will of God and be lifted up on that cross, uh, being faithful right even until the end and thus being fruitful, bringing many sons unto glory. And it was actually common that vines and grapevines themselves would grow upon a beam and a cross beam on top and they'd, they'd be lifted up and elevated off the ground. And so it's no coincidence that the Lord used this picture right before he went to the cross uh, to die for us. And um, grapevines were very common in Israel, in the ancient uh, country there and surrounding Jerusalem. And this, this picture may have been suggested even while they were walking to the garden as they left the uh, upper room in the end of chapter 14. And so considering this uh, picture here of the vine, grapes can't grow without having life from the vine or being attached to the branches. And so the branches always had to be connected to the vine if they were going to receive the sustenance, the main source of life to, to be fruitful. And so in real life, if a, vin, a vine dresser uh, doesn't cut the fruitless dead branches, uh, it would actually contaminate the rest of the branches. And so it'd be susceptible to mold, to fungus and diseases that would spread uh, if they weren't pruned. And so the dead wood that remained on the vine... It, attract, uh, it attracted pests, bugs, rodents, and the vine dresser's job was to care and tend for the vine. It had no choice but to cleanse it uh, from these unprofitable branches. And so th what remains would continue to bring forth fruit as it was uh, pruned. And so the only purpose for the vine and, and the, the grapevine itself was to bear grapes and fruit. And so this, this picture... Jesus is giving is strong because of the fact that a vital connection and a relationship with him, you know, no separation whatsoever is, is required. And it's a requirement for each and every uh, believer. And so the meaning of this picture Jesus is giving is that he alone is the source of all true and genuine fruitfulness that God accepts. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. And so... They needed to be tended and nurtured so the branches would shoot and grow in time. And, and this attention, no doubt, would be required by the, the vine dresser. And here, uh, this is the father, another word for husbandman, here is the vine dresser. And so the picture is given that God the Son, Jesus is the vine, and that the father is the vine dresser. This is what we see. And it's God who ordained Christ to be the source of and channel of blessing for all nations. God promised the seed right from Genesis chapter 3, uh, one that would come in the fullness of time, and the one that the prophets in the Old Testament all pointed to and preached. 
Uh, and uh, no doubt the one that would come and he alone would redeem and reconcile sinful men uh, to a holy God by his life and death and resurrection on the cross. And so this, this here is no doubt a fulfillment of, of the Old Testament prophecies that we see. And this analogy, which is an earthly picture uh, that we're talking about and explaining, is it no doubt um, illustrates an eternal heavenly truth that God nurtures and cares and trims, tends the branches connected to the vine, uh, being all genuine believers, those who by faith have received the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And so they have been engrafted in to the vine by faith. And now we have a loving, lasting relationship with God. We've got new life in Christ uh, by believing the gospel. We're born again by His Spirit and we have uh, life in Him and He abides in us, His, His life in us. We've become children of God because of that. And I thank the Lord for the gospel. It's available for whosoever will may come, like, like what we sung. And so as the vine dresser knows what needs to be done so the branches are fruitful, so God Himself, He knows what His children need uh, and the care and the tender uh, love that we, that we need. And I thank God for that. He, he meets us all where we're at. And so we see not only the person and the picture, but look at verse 2. We, we see a pruning take place here. He says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And so Jesus tells us here of two types of branches that are attached to the vine. You've got one that doesn't bear fruit and one that does. You've got the first branch being the one that bore no fruit that's cut off completely. What One uh, that is fruitless. And this would depict an unbeliever, the, the pretender and the mere empty professor. Some actually believe that this is referring to Judas that betrayed the Lord. And uh, someone once said regarding this verse... He says, as the vine dresser will remove all branches that are dead or that bear no fruit, so will God take from his church all professed Christians who give no evidence by their lives that they are truly united to the Lord Jesus. He here refers to such cases as that of Judas, the apostatizing disciples, and all false and merely nominal Christians. By suffering a man to be placed in such circumstances as Achan, as Judas and the such like, as to show what they were and to bring out their character, to let it be seen that they had no true love for God. And this is what he says regarding this first branch that bore no fruit. And God has never made a mistake with anybody all throughout history when it comes to who he takes away and who he cuts off. And the Psalms tell us that his understanding is infinite. You know, no one can fool God. And so people such as King Herod that claimed to want to know where he was to worship him when he was a, a child, that wasn't, that wasn't genuine and we know and understand that he just wanted to kill him. Uh, and the multitudes that followed him all throughout the Gospels, we see too there wasn't genuine faith that they had. They just wanted to have their bellies full and, and eat the, the, the bread and the fish that he gave. And so it is today. You know, we've got many... Uh, professors say that they're Christian, but they don't actually follow him for the genuine, right 
motive or reason. And so God the Father has in past time and will in the future cut off all uh, pretenders that are not connected to the vine but seem like they are. And uh, those that have no life uh, of God abiding in them. And so this, this is the first branch we see. And the second branch we see the Father work with is being pruned back. Not cut off completely, but it's pruned back and cleansed to promote further growth and fruitfulness. And so this, I gather, is, is a true believer, one that's bearing fruit. And so he says that every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. And so he, the Father, purges, prunes, perfects the genuine believer whose faith is in Christ. And he does this by correcting us when we, when we stray, by convicting us when we do wrong, leading us so we can do right, prompting his believers through teaching, through reading and preaching of his word. And uh, that all the lies of the ungodly world and its influence would no longer have us in bondage or deception. And, and the whole purpose is that we may bring forth more fruit as we see at the end of that verse. And I thank God that He wants us to grow. He wants us to be fruitful. Amen. There's, there's, there's no doubt that He wants us to press on and, and continue to uh, be flourishing as Christians. And it may not be easy when something's pruned, you know, there's, there's, there's pain. But it, but it could even be good things in our life that God wants to strip and make way for the best thing. Maybe the permissive will uh, laying aside this for the perfect will of God. And so we can, we can trust Him with every part of our life for Him to do that to us. And uh, Jesus explains in the parable of the sower in uh, Matthew 13, He says, He that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, sixty and thirty. So the, the seed, the word of God that, that, that landed on a good ground or a heart that understood and believed brought forth fruit. And so God is looking for fruit in the believer's life. Uh, nobody ever planted vegetables or a seed you know, in, in a garden and didn't expect any result or, or a harvest. You know. And so the only purpose for the vineyard is again, the, the, you know, the grapes for the vine itself and branches was for, for the grapes. And in verse 3 in our main text, we see as well uh, a purification, uh, a, a purifying effect. He says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And so it's the word of God that cleanses us. And uh, positionally, we're born again by believing the word of truth. And practically, we're purged and we're continually purified we're cleansed by the word of truth as christians and uh, the vine dresser in a real life scenario he would actually have to wash the vine from anything that would defile it so it would not destroy the harvest and this is what uh, god does through through his word he cleanses us that we'd uh, bear more fruit so it's not enough to hear the word of god but to heed the word amen this is you know, who can remember what the rest of this verse says in Psalm 119? He says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? That's right, by taking heed. We, we cleanse our way by heeding the word. And Jesus prayed in the garden uh, to the Father and he said, Sanctify them through thy truth. 
and thy word is truth. And so another word for clean here is, is, is pure, to be free from corruption. And this is what God uh, wants for every child of his, to be clean. And uh, I thank the Lord that he laid down his life on, on our behalf and he's a wonderful, forgiving God and he desires us to have renewed, transformed minds that we may prove what's that good and acceptable and perfect will of God to be cleansed. And uh, I thank the Lord that he, that he does that through his word. And, and uh, notice the presence of God, uh, the presence where he'd have each and every believer to remain. And notice in verse 5 and 6, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. So this word abide, it means to stay. It means to stay in a, in a given place, state or relation, to continue in, to, to dwell, to be present, to remain, to, to tarry with. This is what this word abide means. And so this is the secret of fruitfulness for, uh, toward God. It's, it's remaining in Christ. It's staying and abiding in Him throughout our life's you know, highs and lows and everything in between, the dark valleys and the mountain tops. You know, we're called here to abide, to, to remain fixed and focused on an intimate relationship with the Lord, you know, close, close-knit communion with Him uh, throughout our days and weeks, not just on one day or for a couple of hours out of seven days. We're called to be abiding with Him and uh, thus bearing fruit. And, uh, you know, if, if somebody's not genuinely connected to the vine that we can do nothing this is what he says you, you can do nothing absolutely nothing zero and uh, this is the the folly or the foolishness of man i believe even christians you know we, we tend to think we we can do things on our own apart from the lord even after being saved we, we, we you know we sing that hymn prone to wander lord i feel it prone to leave the god i love and uh, that's, that's, that's man, mankind, the, the, the nature that we have. And so this is a warning to Christians here. Without me, you can do nothing. You know, a lot can be done without Jesus. When you think about it, even by a Christian. But, you know, through self-confidence, through the flesh, walking in the flesh and not in the Spirit of God. And it will be of no eternal good and no lasting joy uh, if we've forsaken the, the love of Christ and uh, there'd be no smile upon the Father's face uh, because we've, we've drifted, we've wandered, we're, we're, we're not right with God for whatever reason, we're not abiding in Him and, and then we're still going through the motions and we're still maybe even giving out tracks and the Lord can still use this but, but the, the whole emphasis here is not even about the fruit, it's about abiding in Christ and thus we would bear fruit through His life uh, flowing in us and, and through us. And so we ought not to be worried about the fruit, but rather abiding in the Lord. But turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Leave your ribbon or your finger in, in our main passage. 
But John was in the presence of the Lord when, he, when Jesus actually taught this to his disciples face to face, as it's recorded in you know, his gospel. And uh, he, he carries this thought further in his letter to the church of God. And uh, leading up to this passage, the, the context uh, of this chapter here, he tells us not to love the world, the ungodly lusts and the vices that, that it promotes, because it's all going to pass away one day. And the Christian ought to love God and supremely put Him first. And in verse 18 through 23, he warns the church of the coming Antichrist and the many Antichrists already in the world, uh, who no doubt are false teachers, Satan's ministers, denying God's person and God's eternal plan. He, he warns the church against these people. He calls them liars in verse 22 and deceivers who claim even to represent Christianity. You know, today they're known as Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, even among other groups such as Muslims and Hindus, people that deny the Son, uh, that, that are anti-Christ, that they don't believe uh, who Jesus truly is. And uh, so John tells us that these people are not of God who deny the Son in verse 23. And we pick it up from here, Verse 24, he says, Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye, sh ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God, the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. So he carries this thought, uh, he carries the teaching of Christ across in, in this letter here, he, by saying, remain, abide, continue, these are all, uh, the same uh, thought, and he, and he brings it across. And so turning back to John 15, we see the end of these people that are not in the Lord, that don't trust Christ or abide in Him. In uh, verse 6, in John 15, verse 6, we read, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. And so here we see uh, a personal punishment that, that comes. No abiding, no life, and thus no fruit. And in, in uh, Matthew 13, Jesus gives a, a kingdom parable about the wheat being the children of God and, and the tares being the children of the wicked one. And he says in verse 40, explaining the parable, he says, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, 
and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend or are a stumbling block and them which do iniquity other words used uh, or could be used here for iniquity is unrighteousness lawlessness wickedness and shall cast them into a furnace of fire there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth and so in light of this sobering passage of what's going to happen at the end of the world verse 6 can be seen as as the unbeliever who's eternally lost for refusing to abide in the vine he could have uh, come and abided in christ by faith but he chose not to chose to commit iniquity and offend Uh, and so that's his that's his end and so that there's this way of looking at it and there's several other views people have uh, regarding this verse Uh, one of them uh, claim that this is a professing believer who's never truly been saved uh, or born again, and, or one that's truly a believer, sorry. And uh, through carelessness and lack of prayer, he gets out of sorts with the Lord and they become defeated backsliders here in verse 6. And so this verse in no way teaches that a true child of God can lose his salvation or eternal security. There's no, there's no, no way because that completely contradicts what what the Lord did on the cross. And not only that, but uh, the apostles' doctrine and the words of Christ himself, they taught eternal security all throughout the New Testament. Uh, But uh, uh, the believer's Bible commentary, he carries this view further, saying that this is a, a true believer. And he says this, he says, As a result, he commits sin and his testimony is ruined. Through failure to abide in Christ, he is thrown out as a branch, not by Christ, but by other people. He says that it's not God that does it, but other people in this verse. It means that people scoff at the backslidden Christian. They drag his name in the mud. They throw out his testimony as a Christian to the fire. This is well illustrated in the life of David, he says, uh, by his gross sins of adultery and murder and a lack of love for the Lord uh, caused the enemies of, the, of God to blaspheme. And even today, atheists ridicule the name of David and his God, and they cast him, as it were, into the fire. And so this is uh, the view that, that, that William MacDonald, I believe, has, who wrote the Believer's Bible Commentary. And uh, a verse that may support this view is, is Matthew 5, when Jesus said, "Yea, the salt of the earth... And he says, but if the salt hath lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. And so if seasoning has uh, lost its flavour, you know, it's of no value. And so a Christian is to be affecting the lives of others. And, you know, how, how, does, a, how does a believer lose their flavour or their zest, their zeal, so, so to speak? How, how do you think a believer would lose that 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 saltiness yeah all of those things 100 percent, and those are a result of one not abiding in christ i'd I'd say that they're not they're not intimate with the lord that you know they don't have a this vibrant communion relationship with him and and thus yeah they quench the spirit they grieve the spirit they backslide uh they stumble and fall and they stay down for whatever reason and uh and uh this is this is uh another view 
of, of verse 6 here. And so, if the branch is, is cut off, it's, it's good for nothing. It can't bear fruit. Uh, and so, we can allow sin to intervene in, in that respect and hinder the Christian life. Because there's, there's even people that want to have a committed or non-committed casual religious life. You know, they're content to come a couple of hours on one day a week. And, uh, you know, they don't have an intimate walk with God and they're content that way. And it's a shame today that the church is in an ungodly state. It's in a carnal state. And uh, someone once said this, it's such a sobering comment that he made. He said, the only Bible most people read is you. And when you think about that, that lost people in the world that know that you're a professing Christian, that they judge Christ and the faith and the Bible based on the way you live. The, 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 the way you, you behave out in the world. They, they, they read you. They, they, they see you. And uh, that's, you know, all because of the fact that there's so many pretenders and professors uh, that live like hypocrites six days a week. The world mocks and scoffs a true devoted Christ follower because of these people, the hypocrites. And so the scriptures tell us that all Christians will give account to God uh, and the Lord says that through the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And any man's work, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And so the emphasis again is, is abiding in the Lord in this, in this main passage. Abiding, intimate, close, uh, and thus bearing fruit. And the, and the question then comes, what fruit is, is God looking for? You know, what, what's, a, what's fruit uh, that's well-pleasing in the sight of God? Well, ha have a look at verse 7. He says... He says, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So there's a purpose-filled prayer, there's fruit of prayer, a healthy prayer life. And not only that, that we'll be prayerful people, but we'll have answered prayer. That, that's fruit of one abiding in Christ. It's a measure of how you can know you're, when you're abiding in the Lord. If, if prayer is sweet and, you know, there's, there's a healthy prayer life and there's answered prayer. You know, God hears uh, and hearkens to the prayers of, of the upright and the righteous. How much more those that are in His Son. And uh, God invites us all throughout the Scriptures to call upon Him. There's no doubt about that. You know, in First John chapter 5, after He gives eternal security to the believer... He says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And so this is a measure, answered prayer. Another measure is keeping the word of God, obeying the word, the, the fruit of obedience. Seen in verse 10, 
in our text, but have a look at chapter 8 in John's Gospel. In verse 31, notice what, what Jesus says here. Chapter 8, verse 31, he says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And I love what one commentator said on that thought. He says, Jesus himself is the truth that sets us free. He is the source of truth, the perfect standard of what is right. He frees us from continued slavery to sin, from self-deception and from deception by Satan. He shows us clearly the way to eternal life with God. Thus, Jesus does not give us freedom to do what we want, but freedom to follow God. As we seek to serve God, Jesus' perfect truth sets us free to be all that God meant for us to, to be. And how true is that? And, uh, yeah, I love that. It's true. John's Gospel, sorry, Luke in chapter 8, he says in verse 15, but that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, a genuine heart, have heard the word, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. And so it's by keeping and obeying the word of God that we're cleansed and prove that our faith is genuine. In Luke 11 verse 28, Jesus said, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And in John's letter, uh, the chapter we were looking at prior, uh, earlier, 1 John chapter 2, he began by, by this point here, the fruit of obedience. He, he says, Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, here it is here, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. And so this is an evidence. Uh, it's evident when one is abiding in Christ, when they keep the Word of God. And the love of God is being perfected in that Christian's life. Uh, we, we have the honour and the privilege, by the way, to, to, to love the Lord, to, to glorify Him, bearing fruit. Uh, another fruit we see in the Scripture is the fruit of holiness, being separate from evil. Another fruit we see in Hebrews is the fruit of praise and thanksgiving to God. Uh, true believers are thankful people. Amen. They know what they've been delivered from, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And, uh, and uh, not only these, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, all these uh, spiritual fruit that the Bible speaks of would no doubt be evident in the life of one that abides in Christ. And it's our, our privilege to glorify God in this way. Look at verse 8 in John 15. He says, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. So it's a personal privilege that we all have and it proves whether you're a disciple indeed or not. And so notice even the progression in this 
chapter. In verse 2, he says fruit, he says more fruit, and in verse 8, he says much fruit. So there's, as the Christian life grows, and as you, as you walk with God in Christ, in the vine, that there ought to be a growth of uh, fruit. Uh, fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And, uh, and the Lord gives here, by saying these uh, truths, that the evidence of one's salvation, they're, they're clear marks of a genuine disciple. That, that one that's a child of God, no doubt, uh, exhibit to some degree these, these fruits and characteristics, even the fruit of a godly character and virtues. And uh, this is what Peter actually says. If we add these things to our faith, we won't be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And, and so it's evident when one walks with God. It's evident. And... Uh, there's no doubt the saved man, the one, one that's glorifying God, uh, living up to the Christian name. And here in our text also we see in verse 9 the profound love of God. He says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. What a statement that is. If, if you ponder that for long enough, it will bring you to tears. As, as the Father hath loved me, Jesus speaking, so have I loved you. This, is the, this, is, this measure, this love, is, it's eternal, everlasting. It's incomprehensible to the human mind. In Jesus' ministry, you know, when he was on the mountain with his disciples, uh, the Bible says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son. In whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. He, hear him. So the, the Father loves the Son. This is what John the Baptist said. This is what Jesus said. That the Father loves the Son. And this same love that the Father has for his Son, he has for us as, as his people. This is the whole purpose why he prunes, why he cuts things off why He corrects us and chastens us. If you belong to Him, that will happen. And uh, it's, at times, it's, it's, uh, not a, it's, it's not pleasant. It hurts. It's painful. You've got to leave things off. You've got to change plans. You've got to stop going here and stop doing this. And God purges and prunes you in, in, your, in, in your life. And that's when you know that, yeah, he's, this is, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a branch that bears fruit. I'm a, I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of His love. So it's a wonderful thing. And, uh, you know, we're accepted in the Beloved. That's what Paul said in Ephesians. And, and true believers in Jesus are beloved of God. This is what this verse is showing us. And, uh, yeah, that, that ought to put you to bed. Amen. If you, if you have trouble sleeping at night <laughs> yeah we're dear to him we're precious to him yeah even in death you know the psalmist said precious in the sight of the lord is the death of his saints that when we when we die it's, it's precious to god because we'll be raised caught up with him what a wonderful thing and uh in the next part of that verse we see our our practice he says continue ye in my love in verse 9, 
So we're, we're, we're called to keep ourselves in the love of God. This is what, what Jude says. He says, Ye beloved, building up yourselves on the most, your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And the, the word continue here is the same Greek word as abide. It's the same word. To remain in, to dwell, to tarry in the love of Christ. And thus we'll have a lasting personal relationship with the Lord because we know the love of Christ to, to some degree. You know, we, we, we're growing in our love for God and, and His love for us. We're, we're learning it, we're understanding it. And uh, in verse 10, he tells us how to abide in his love, to continue. He says, he says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. So again, there's the fruit of obedience. We're out of love for God, we keep his word. And this is a measure of our, of our love for God. Ask yourself, you know, how, how much or how little am I mindful to keep God's word when I read it? When, when, I, when I wake up and do my morning devotions or evening uh, when I hear preaching how mindful am I and do I purpose in my heart Lord I want to keep this I want to live it out I want to do this I want to please you and uh, and no doubt it's it comes by remaining in Christ uh, positionally yes but but practically in our in our day-to-day and it's his life that again flows and works in and through us uh, while, while we rest in him. You know, Psalm 37, I was reading, and he says, you know, Rest in the Lord, trust in the Lord, commit thy way unto the Lord, delight thyself also in the Lord. And he says all these beautiful uh, truths and you know, they're, they're, they're verbs, you know, d- doing words, you know, to delight in him, to trust him, commit our ways to him, and all these beautiful things. You know, it's, this is what, what it is to abide. It's, it's, it's a relationship with God. And uh, turn to chapter 14, a, a chapter prior. Look at verse 21. He says here, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. If you feel distant from God, perhaps it's because you're not keeping his word. He says in verse in 22, verse 22, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will what? He'll keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And so it's never been passive on our part. From salvation, even through our sanctification in the Christian life, we must personally choose to love the Lord, to love God. It It looks like something and it looks like obedience. That's what we see in the words of Christ. Here, he shows us what it looks like. When somebody loves him, they'll obey him. And, uh, and they'll do it with an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude. 
with joy. And, you know, they'll put off the old man, no problem. And they'll put on the new man. They'll say no to sin and yes to the Savior. And it'll be a delight. It'll be a joy for them. Look at verse 24. In uh, chapter 14, verse 24, he says, He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So God is simply saying through his Son, that those that don't love me, they don't keep my word. This is what he's saying. And so it's a choice to love God and remain in his love. It's not automatic. You know, we, can't, we can't think that it's automatic, that, it, that we just, we're passive. You know, we're sitting back in a, in a Tesla car. We put in the destination. You know, we're going to heaven. We'd sit back and just ride it out. No, it's not, it's not passive like this. It's, you know, it's... It's not automatic. It's not. Many, many reject it. Many forsake it. And many resist it in life. But the pathway to abiding in His love is, is, is keeping His word. It's saying, yes, Lord, I'll do that. Yes, Lord, I won't do that. Yes, Lord, I'll go there. Yes, Lord, I'll put that off. I'll, I'll get rid of that. I'll throw that in the bin. Yes, Lord, I'll go witness to that person. Yes, Lord, I'll give that, a, a gospel tract to that, to that lady over there. It's, 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 a, it's, it's being led by the Spirit of God. And this is the measure of someone's love for the Lord. Simple obedience. Is it there or is it not? He says in verse 10, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And so the next part of this verse we see the perfect example. He says, even as I have kept my Father's commandments. Jesus said in chapter 8, verse 29, have a look. Look, look at what he says here. In chapter 8, verse 29, in John's Gospel, he says, He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please Him. He, does, he did always the things that pleased His Father. Perfect submission. He was led by the Spirit of God. He obeyed what, all that the Father wanted Him to do. And so we're called to imitate Him in His love for God and in His love for keeping His Word. And so as they, they are one, God the Father and God the Son, we, we are one. We're, he's the head and we're the body. And when, when one abides in the Lord, this is, this is what it looks like here. And for the last point, we'll look at the, the absolute pleasure that it is to abide in Christ. Look at verse 11. He says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full amen what a wonderful verse that is it's his joy it's pure joy joy from heaven it's wonderful and if we choose to stray and leave off fellowship with the lord we're not going to have this fullness of joy that he desires us to have he these things are, are said that our joy might be full and the bible tells us uh, rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice and again he, in 1 Thessalonians, he says, rejoice evermore. 
And so if we don't follow his leading for whatever reason, it will cause us to not abide in him, to backslide, which will result in sin and a loss of joy. You know, when David sinned, he prayed in Psalm 51. He said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. He says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. So we won't be soul winners if we don't have the joy of the Lord. Uh, we, we won't have a life of praise and a life of serving Him in gladness without His joy. This is what the Psalms say. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before His presence with singing. And so now it just comes to the response of the Christian. You know, you, you know what ought to be our response? Absolute surrender to the Lord. Yeah, purposing in our hearts, Lord, I want to give myself wholly to you. I want to abide in you, my Lord Jesus. I want to love you. I want to love you more. I want to, I want to continue to serve you with all that I have. And it's, 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 it's saying, I, 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 want to, I want to trust you more. I want to love you more. I, I want to be your disciple indeed. I want to keep your word. And it's only then until we, we have a, a willingness and a heart response such as this that, that we'll have the joy of the Lord. The verse 11 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy from heaven. May God help us to stay in communion with the Lord, intimate, close, to, to keep His Word and allow Him to work uh, in and through us. Uh, and, and thus we glorify Him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this joy and the peace and the love that You give to us, Lord. Thank You that we're accepted in Your Son, and that we have peace with You, that we can be declared righteous in Your sight, Father, and that, Lord, we can have Your Spirit in us, that works in us, Lord, and guides us and leads us. And teaches us. We're so thankful, Father, for your wisdom. And, uh, and you've made it so clear to us how we can have joy, how we can have peace, and uh, Lord, how we can bear fruit for your glory, how we can abide in your love and in your Son. Father, I pray that you'd help us uh, in this dark world to abide in you and to love you, to serve you with our life. I love you, Lord, and thank you for the privilege that we have and uh, the honor that it is to, to be known of you and to walk with you, Father. We do ask and pray you'd bless your word again to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.